I, I do have a lot of thoughts that I've tried to distill. Um, and I'll start right away with the analogy of, you know, the frog in the boiling water, like I left it three months ago, like I left the boiling water, <laughs> and I've come back, <laughs> and it's hot. Um, so I'm sort of speaking two weeks into re-entry, and, and, you know, there is a pace and a rhythm of the soul, and Sabbath, in my view, is that. Um, but, it, like, the hard thing is in my interior, I'm kind of going, if I can say it right away, I'm concerned. Like, I'm concerned for us as a people, like all of us, because the pace of life is so unfair. Like, unhurried, um, the book that you've been reading by John Mark Comer and I think studying at Dave's Place, that the reason he used the words ruthlessly eliminate hurry was from Dallas Willard, and I understand the word ruthless now. It's not intentionally eliminate hurry, even. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. <laughs> Dallas Willard saw it as the greatest sickness of our age, that we have so much hurry, and what does that do to the soul? So I've just had three months of a seven-year sabbatical, which was largely out of obedience, felt weird to do at a particular time in a role, but I felt that it was obedience. It's not really about how I feel. <laughs> uh, it's about obedience. That's what it was for me. So I had been serving in a particular place for seven years in Churches of Christ and had this break. So I wanted to, three movements I wanted to do this morning. I kind of want to talk a bit about the Sabbath, then witness and testify to my experience of Sabbath to encourage you and then give you a practice that you could use because I understand next Sunday as a church community, we're saying we're setting that apart as a Sabbath. So I've got some R words for you just because, you know, you have to when you preach, don't you? But I've got Sabbath as rhythm, Sabbath as resistance, Sabbath as replenishing, Sabbath as resting, and Sabbath as requirement because commandment doesn't start with an R. But the first thing I want to say is that Sabbath is a rhythm. And the reason this is helpful is I don't know about you, but Dave sort of alluded to this morning in prayer that the idea of Sabbath can be confronting and challenging for people um, because it can... There's lots of reasons that might be, but what I want to say is this, Sabbath is a rhythm, and there's a micro and a macro to it, and if you want to do the macro, it's, it's probably good to do the micro. It just helps. Like, if I hadn't done anything around a micro Sabbath for my bigger three-month sabbatical, I don't, I don't think it would have gone as well, because there's things about it, like preparing for the Sabbath. You know, there's a period of preparation, so you might enter this space well. Um, and so there is almost this dailiness to it, you could certainly say, and then a weekliness to it, but there is a rhythm to Sabbath. And I think, I say all of this knowing Jesus' words, I literally read them again this morning, Jesus says something about himself and the Sabbath. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of our lives, Lord of this gathering, but he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Why did he say that? And he also said that Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. So there is a design principle here for the human to Sabbath. So that's what I want to say. There's a rhythm to it, and it's a design principle. But I also, and I said this a lot, I think I focused more on this probably last year, was Sabbath's resistance, because Walter Brueggemann says, pharaohs in their rule, rule with anxiety. That's how they rule. That's how you get caught. That's what our, I'm sorry, but that's what our government rules do. They don't rule you with spacious places. They rule you with anxiety. And we're all in it. Interest rates and blah, 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 you name it. Like living in Sydney is super stressful. So it's easy to rule with anxiety. And what pharaohs do is they say, make bricks without straw. We see this done by pharaoh to God's people in the Exodus. 
This is kind of the environment we're all swimming in. And the resistance of Sabbath says, no, I am not going to do that and walk in that way. And, you know, guys, um, when I return to work, um, <laughs> the number one refrain when I ask people how they are, guess what it is? Busy. It's a mantra. It's become our, and I'm worried about that because I just think every physical activity has a spiritual authority. Every physical activity has a spiritual authority. And in our busyness and our activity, what are we saying about God? That he's busy as? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's thinking about, okay, so this is a resistance to stop, to say God is completely on the throne. In Jesus' name, literally the name Yeshua in Hebrew, the root word is Yesha, and Yesha means spaciousness. The opposite in Hebrew is Zarah, which means anxiety or constriction. <laughs> so so you, you think that in the very name of Jesus is the, and salvation is spaciousness. And the world is running on its anxiety systems. And so when we, as God's people, stop, we can. We, I want someone to answer that question with, how are you saying, awesome, I just took a nap, feeling super refreshed. <laughs> like, what, what does Jesus do in a storm? I mean, he sleeps in the storm to the scandal of those around him. That's the kind of confidence, that's the kind of confidence we can have because Jesus is on the throne. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And our stopping, our ceasing is resisting and saying no to a world because it's endless. The anxiety and all the doing that we could do is endless. So Sabbath is resistance. But Sabbath is also resting. It is resting from our doing. It is resting from, and this is what I, I found, because the pace of life is probably not the pace of the soul, um, when we are resting, we are saying, God, you are my rest and you are in control. I'm not. I know that sounds very simple, but that's actually was, was totally my experience, uh, especially having three months of it. But if we do the Sabbath on, on this weekly thing, God, you're in control and I'm not. Because six days a week, we kind of think we're in control. But God's in control. And you're, you're stopping actually says that, God, you are in control of my life, this world, everything. That is actually the most freeing thought there is. It is and you, you must understand that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. The Sabbath is about freedom. Jesus' activities on the Sabbath are about freedom because he heals people. He delivers them from demonic spirits. He heals them from their infirmities because he's trying to say to the people who want to make law about Sabbath and crush people with Sabbath and create 39 extra rules around Sabbath, it becomes a burden, which is kind of my next point. Sabbath is requirement because it is a commandment. It is in there. It's in the Decalogue. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth one. And I grew up in my evangelical, and I want to speak ill of that, but I just want to say there was a lot of theological gymnastics to try and get around not keeping the Sabbath. Every other commandment you keep, but just don't worry about that one because somehow Jesus did something magical on that. But he himself said, not one dot or tittle is going to be removed from the law. And again, you take the idea that Sabbath's made from man. So the idea then, the design principle, Sabbath is good for you, a delight for you, a joy for you. You can read some of the early writings by Jewish people on this, and they're going, Sabbath is the best. Sabbath is delight. Sabbath is awesome. Sabbath has all these beautiful things in it. And so law can crush. So here's what Paul says in Colossians. Because when you hold the Sabbath or keep it, I'm, I'm obviously going to argue for Sabbath because it's, my, it's like one of my favorite topics. But I want to say there's a lot of freedom around it. 
And Paul says this in Colossians 2, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So you've got some freedom. How you, how you keep it, when you keep it. And remember I was saying micro, macro. You, you could just do two minutes, and I think we can all do that, because I want to acknowledge that I found my rhythms on Sabbath to be really healthy, and then I came back to work and I've got, God, I don't understand this. How is it that I do a job that's supposed to be working for you and I feel less in rhythm with you in my job for you than when I don't have one? Gloriously wasteful in Sabbath. I would spend hours lingering with the Lord because no one's asking me. <laughs> but somehow, why does this not translate into this? I don't understand. So I don't, want, I don't want anyone getting caught up on guilt or anything like that around Sabbath, which is easy to do and add all these laws. And I must and I must and I must. It is actually a very free space. And that's where we're going to head, because when I was taking this, I realized that time, something's happened with time, and I want to name this in culture. We have mixed something around time and truth. We have said that we are masters of truth and servants of time. That's not true. <laughs> we are masters of time and servants of truth, because all of us are given time by God, and we can do what we choose with. We have choice in that. Unfortunately, what ceases to become a servant becomes a tyrant, and so we have forgotten that actually we control our time. Do, do you understand? Like you've got agency in your time, not in your truth. We serve truth. And so this mix in our world, and that's the narratives that you're hearing. You make your own truth, create your own truth, but technology, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti, I love bits of technology, but unfortunately, again, it was meant to be a servant, it's become a tyrant, so now we're serving it. And we feel like we are slaves to time. And I made a bit of those errors actually in my sabbatical. I definitely made some timing kind of issues. But um, I, here again, I want to say about our busy mantra, C.S. Lewis said something that challenged me massively. He said, sometimes the busiest people are the laziest people. Oh, <laughs> that hurts. Because think about it. If busyness is about jumping into the stream that's already moving, well, there's not a lot of energy required there, but resistance, discipline, intention, saying no, that requires work. Thought, intention. Therefore, the busiest people, are because the, they're just going with the flow. And I found that very challenging because I think that's true. There is something about intentionality and ruthlessness, as I said. So there is a time component that I learned about sabbatical. How do I understand time? How do I use time? How do I think about time? Oh yeah, I forgot, I'm not a victim to time. <laughs> it's not like I serve time. Time is a gift given by God for me to steward. The other thing that really hit me was progress. Um, we have a really false understanding in our world of progress. We think it's linear, but it's not. It's cyclical, and I shared with you guys a little while ago, sorry, but like my discipleship pattern is actually like spirals, <laughs> because I think that's how we are being made into the image of Jesus, and it's not it's not this linear thing. We keep coming back because that's kind of what Christians call repentance. So we keep coming back to things. We keep, but our world doesn't do that. It actually keeps moving. Now, the challenge that, again, I'm going to quote a C.S. Lewisism here, he says, the problem we've got, though, is that both the train and the station are moving. So how do you progress anywhere? If the train and the station are both moving, there's no progress. It's just, it's a, it's a movement. And it's really interesting. My wife, sitting at the back, she's a scuba diver. And she, she leads people on diving expeditions. And what's fascinating, she said this to me, is that most people she takes into the water for the first time, all of a sudden they just swim off and off they go. And then she'll have a debrief with them up and say, where were you going? And they're like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just got to keep on moving, as the song says, right? <laughs> like, 
the, you didn't, it, right in front of you was beauty. There was all these things that you could have seen and you just swam right past them because your progress is about movement. What if it wasn't about that? But that's kind of somehow we've got this, this in the world, that that's what progress looks like. We do it with our morals and our ethics. We do this all the time. And so the human and its destination keeps shifting, and so we don't actually kind of arrive anywhere. It just, just really hit me when I was in sabbatical, resting, being able to see this, going, yeah, I don't... So if I'm always busy and I am always think I've got to move is progress, I've made an error. And I've probably missed the beauty of what's right there in front of me that I can only see in stillness. That's the only way I can see it. I will completely miss it. And that was my sort of thought. God, if you really do move at three miles an hour, as people say, if you are a slow God, I'm worried I'm always missing you because I'm just so far ahead. I'm not with you walking at your pace. So I think we need to think about, okay, progress. Um, Purpose was another thing that popped for me in sabbatical. Um, I read that we are the first generation in history not to know our why of existence. Every other generation could give you a why. Why did we exist? So why do we exist? Like, it's such a good question, is it not? <laughs> like, why do we exist? And if you were to look at our activity, if you were to look at the world, you would say, well, we exist to consume. Again, kind of what's the point in all of that? And so one of the things that really hit me, and I know you're going to laugh at its simplicity, but I became more and more convinced that the purpose for the people of God is, as we model the rhythms and ways of Jesus, is to become like Him. We are becoming like Jesus. That is our purpose. So that all the things that happen in life, everything from, even as Gav shared, some of the fractured places, our memories, our painful places, all of these things work towards our becoming like Jesus, every part of it. And that's the goal. Not this linear progression. It's often backwards and sideways and down and, and it's journey descent and then it's all these things. But I think that we must articulate with greater clarity that for the people of God, our purpose, our why of existence is becoming like and therefore glorifying and honouring Jesus. So our activity then, and that's where I got struck, does my thinking about, watching about, saying about, all those things, does that have anything to do with Jesus? No. <laughs> Not a lot of it. So why am I doing it? Because I've got this, I'm telling you, the world is conditioning us. And I'm not I'm trying to be like, ah, against the world. I'm just saying the world is making disciples. Everyone, actually, is making disciples. The question is just what kind. And I want to say that the church is actually, our disciple making is a group of people who more and more look like Jesus. That's, that's kind of our goal. So we need to be thinking about that. In everything we do, is this patterning the way of Jesus and his kingdom um, so that we're understanding the purpose. And the final point, the final thing that hit me, and this was the most painful place probably, was um, the idea of kenosis. You guys might have heard that, this idea from Philippians 2, Paul picks it up, that Jesus himself did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming a servant. And this process is self-emptying. And I found that Sabbath is about self-emptying. It's actually about kenosis. It's actually about not building giving away, stopping, and therefore it's painful because there's a self-emptying that goes on. I can't tell you what I was confronted with, how much ego is in things in my life, like my prayer. So much of my prayer is filled with ego. So much of my activity is filled with ego. And it's really, you might look at it from the outside and go, gee, that's nice, Daz is helping that person, but really I just want you to think well of me. Like, this is, the, this is, the, this is probably why we don't want a Sabbath. Because <laughs> when you stop, and you have to sit with you. I, don't, I think most people would think the worst thing in the world is for them to be alone without a phone, stuck in their own narratives. 
right? That sounds like hell for people. That's why I think we avoid this, because when you stop, you have to think. And when you think and you're left with your thoughts, what happens? And so I think, therefore, we need to be building the muscle for Sabbath. I think that's why we've got to start small, you know, in the micro to get to the macro. It, it's not like we just sort of arrive here, because we're not, um, we're not a theocracy. When I went to Israel and experienced the Sabbath, it was awesome, because the whole city shut down. But when we do our Sabbaths individually and whatever, that's not the case. Nothing shuts down. And actually, I felt quite alone. And so I'm having to now deal with some lonely places in me in my sabbatical. Ask my wife. I deteriorated for like, I don't know, was it six weeks? (laughs) For a while. Because all the things that, like, I was going to share this analogy and I won't, but it's like emptying the bin, you know, like all this accumulation in me, all this stuff because of the pace of life, unprocessed, now sitting there in Sabbath going, I'm, I'm coming undone. <laughs> and God's like, good, that's exactly where I want you, completely undone. Because you've been running for a while on thinking you control the universe. I'm just going to remind you that I do. <laughs> so all these things fall apart necessarily. It's what some would say is a necessary suffering. And God would always invite us into necessary suffering so that we don't introduce our own unnecessary suffering. So I spent a lot of time going, yep, um, I ne- what, how, and so how then, Lord, can I self-empty? How can I do this? Because I'd felt that um, I don't actually quite know what that looks like. The stopping is painful. And I think, Brett, you might have shared like uh, it's a while ago, but again, just this whole idea of the greatest commandment of loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self. The problem is in Sabbath, what's the gift, but it's a challenge for us. You get to examine what do you think about God? What do you think about self and what do you think about others? And unfortunately, my self-narratives, some of them are not great at all, and I'm stuck with that. So how do then people experience me? Because can the inverse be true? If I'm not loving myself, how am I going with others? And I think we all experience each other's subtext, you know, like you might do something nice or polite, you know, but people know deep down there isn't this soul human connection, you know? So that, that was sort of what I was thinking with. How do I love God? What do I think about you that's false God? God, are you really asking me to do this? You know, all the God images that aren't right, all the self images that aren't right, and all the images of others that aren't right. You know, so all of that sort of can come apart when you stop. And I think that's an absolute gift so that you might again discover just how loved you are, just how loving God is, and just his call to love others, you know. But it requires this work. So in a way, I feel like those that Jesus met on the Sabbath who he healed, there was a pain and a wound, and he healed them. That's how I feel, both the pain and the healing both happen in the Sabbath moment. And because we're not used to it, just give yourself grace. It takes a while to build the muscle and it's easy to feel guilt and all that. So next Sunday, you know, craft intentionality around the time, right? Like be intentional with it, but just watch what happens. Can I invite you to watch, especially if you've never done it before, just watch what happens in your soul. Watch the defaults, watch watch the narratives come and, and see without guilt how you might enter a space of freedom utter freedom and play with Papa. That's why, you know, the things that you delight in have to be experienced on the Sabbath. It's got to be filled with joy because that's what God's like. He is, the, he is a good God and all you're doing is surrendering your, uh, your controlling of your life over to the one who really does control your life. That's actually ultimate reality. So there's so many gifts in Sabbath. There's, it is made for us. It is, it is in our wiring. And one of the practices that I wanted to share with you as I close... Um, because I was sitting in, some of you may have heard of a psychological tool called IFS or parts work. You might have heard that language, you may not have. But it's this idea of understanding the parts of us 
And we use this in our language, don't we? Well, a part of me and a part of me. So a lot of that can come in the Sabbath, and I should be attentive to that, because a part of me feels like Jesus rules my life, and another part is a rebel. Another part wants to do its own, you know? So thinking about um, that question of, who is God? Who am I? I would say they are primary gifts of a spacious place in the Sabbath, because we want to love well. Uh, not with guilt and not with performance, not with drivers. So I was doing some, I had, when I was in New Zealand, I had eight days of silence and solitude. And Leon Munro had impacted me about three years, four, five years ago, Leon. He'd said, when I do a Sabbath, I turn the lights out and I just follow the rhythm of the sun. And that's such a gift. So I did that in New Zealand. That's what I often do on a Sabbath. When I go to retreat here, I do the same thing. And when I did in New Zealand, I had seven mornings of this and evenings where I just followed the sun. So up with the sun, down with the sun. You go to bed a lot earlier. It's just, it's actually so beautiful to follow that rhythm, not having all the lights that, you know. So you, you can do what you like around this. But when I was there, I went, in New Zealand, I said, God, I just, I'm trying to understand how I self-empty, like how do I not end up with all this ego and all this performance, these drivers? Because I, I actually believe, God, that you only love me when I do, not when I'm just being. I really believe that. I'm sorry, it's confession, but you know, I think that God loves me, and the more I do, the more I'm loved. So therefore, I like doing stuff because then I might be loved. You know, it's, it's a horrible place to be. But confession. So, God, how do I deal with that? How do I sit with that? And one of the great tools given—it's an early tool in the church—but it's called centering prayer. And that's what I want to share with you. And I have misunderstood centering prayer because I thought centering prayer was something else. But here is the work of centering prayer. And we're going to do like maybe a minute of it together, just so you understand what it is because it's different to other silence and solitude tasks, but it's very helpful for the work of Sabbath. So here's what Centering Prayer is. If you want to read a book on this, it's by a lady named Cynthia Bourgeau. It's absolutely fantastic. She calls it the heart of Centering Prayer. Because so much in the Christian life is a heart-knowing, right? It's a heart-knowing. It's about Ruth's, absolutely, this was the scripture for me, be still and know that I am God. It's a heart-knowing. It's not a mind-knowing. It's a it's actually a mystical knowing because it's like, I can't really give you language around it. Be still and know that I am God. So this tool then centers you on the reality of being before God. This early medieval uh, writer wrote a book called The Cloud of Unknowing. It's a fascinating book and it's really about this tool. And he basically says it's about your naked intent before God. That is your work, to just be before God. So here's what it looks like to be in centering prayer. Find a word that's important to you, or, or not, just a word that you might remember. There's different schools of thought on this. And here's what you're doing. Dave, I reckon you're going to love this. You're swatting your thoughts. That's the work, to swat your thoughts. Like a diver at the bottom of the ocean, you see boats coming. For me, it's like New Year's Eve. Like, I've got 70,000 boats coming, and not try and attach to any of them. Let them go. So here's what this then looks like. The goal is my naked intent before God. God, I want to be before you. Because as I said, my prayer is often filled with a lot of ego. It's not bad. God wants to hear my cry. I'm just saying, well, how do I get to a space of being with God, being with him without all of that? So then you sit down, you have this word, and here's what happens. I, and I've been given 20 minutes to this, and I'm an, I'm an, I'm an L-plater, right? I've just been doing this for two months. But Nothing necessarily happens in the work, it's what happens after the work. It's the preparation. So, here's what happens. I might start with, okay, God, you're so good. You are amazing, and you are the bread of life. 
bread, I'm pretty hungry. Yeah, what's for lunch? I don't know if you have that experience, but that's like my prayer life. So, I have a word, and I'll tell you my word. My word is freedom. You can, they often recommend, that the mystics recommend one syllable word, but the idea is one word that swats away that thought, like windscreen wipers on a car. Freedom. And I'm back to blank. Oh, but I wonder if freedom. Oh, but I think I might. So you can imagine how it was for me this morning, because I've got this sermon in my head. I'm hoping I communicate bits, and I've got new thoughts coming. Oh, no, but then you should say freedom. No, no, but you should freedom. No, no, but if you freedom. <laughs> and you are banging on what this guy would call the cloud of unknowing because you're dealing with your thoughts that come, whether they are holy or not holy, it doesn't matter. The work in this moment is to deal with the thought. I'll tell you why I find that a gift. I'm emptying of myself. Like, I'm just trying to be before God, naked, vulnerable, with nothing. God, I'm not bringing you my smarts. I'm not bringing you anything. It's just me. There's a self-emptying work here. Plus, the other benefit that I've realized is it really slows me down and steals my interior word, world. And when I have been in some, and I have been in some pretty anxious places in the last two weeks, that discipline transfers. Because when I hear thoughts, someone says something to me, and I've had some pretty painful words said in the last couple of weeks, um, I can then not deal with a narrative of bitterness, but cut it off early because of that tool. Does that make sense? Because what happens is we meditate always, and often those thoughts of meditations are not good, right? So anger and bitterness and all that. This tool helps you cut that off early in any meeting or any situation you're in. So you've learned to then say, I have control over my thought life. I don't have to let that go to its end and follow that rabbit warrant of bitterness. And I found it to be so helpful for that. So this tool, so what I want you to do, we'll do a minute as we close. Um, but just know that's the work. The work, you're not, you're, all the literature around this says very rarely will someone have a mystical encounter in this moment because it's not about that. You might. And even then, this lady said, yeah, even then, swat it away, <laughs> which sounds so confronting. If I think it's Jesus, I don't know how to swat that away. But the idea of it is that you have this word in your heart that you can use and you sit down for a period of time. You could start with, we'll do a minute together now. But your work is to deal with the thought as it comes and just go, use freedom. A lot of people use upper, like papa, upper, whatever word you would like. And as the thought, just bang, thought. And the idea is just that you're free, that it's just you. Nothing is just you and God. That's it. And that would be the goal. And the, the, the hard bit to explain is that you, they say it's the longest journey from here to here, descend with the mind into the heart that's the goal, and have a knowing. So it's not cognitive, and this is, it's very challenging to do. That's why it's about dealing with your thoughts. So I'm gonna give you a minute to do that. If you feel safe, to close your eyes and think about a word that you might use. And if you want any more learning on this, I'm very happy to send all the resources to you. Um, and, and practice just for a minute, I'll time us, and just practice being in silence and stillness with blank. Have a word, and as soon as a thought comes, you're conscious. So this is your intent, right? Your naked intent, your intention is to say, God, free, or Abba, and have the thought completely disappear. So I'm going to get, does that make sense? Can I just get a nod that that sort of vaguely makes sense? Great. Um, so let's do a minute of that. I'll time it. We'll, we'll just have this silent space, and I will, I will bring you out of that. So, and I'm going to join you in it. So um, let's go. Let's, let's do a minute.
to your brothers and sisters as you come out of that. Hopefully that's something of an experience you can do at any length that you like, but that is a practice of being still and knowing that he is God. Um, Sabbath has that kind of intention to it. Sabbath is an utter delight and a joy. Sabbath is a gift. I love Sabbath. To know that God is in control, to know who is leading and on the seat of your heart, there is not a better experience on this planet to have that kind of intimacy with him. And that's why we stop. That's why we boundary and create Sabbath, a spacious kairos time. Not chronos, it's kairos, because it's a moment created specifically for being, just being with God. It boundaries when we can't, deals with ego, when we, it does so many gifts. So I pray for Sunday, I'm going to pray uh, that that would be the case for next Sunday for all of us. And that we would, if you, I would recommend we share testimonies about that. How do we go with Sabbath? What was difficult? Because I think as we learn and build our collective muscle on this, I honestly, my dear brothers and sisters, believe with all of me that this way of being will be a witness to the world greater than most it is anxious and stressed and doesn't know its why, and we do. We've got the why. Why was human, humanity created? And our restful way of being will be a great witness to a world filled with hurt. And I think this is where the church has to go. So as we build our muscle together, I, I think we're going to create a space, once again, because this is not new in the history of the church, that actually is a place of safety, and shalom, and wholeness, and integration, where it's okay to be a mess, all that sort of stuff in this world. So let me pray. Um, uh, dear Father, thanks. Um, hmm. It is a moving thought because we have broken bread together and drunk the blood of our Lord Jesus, recognizing what he has done. And the way of you is so beautiful, it is so good, and it is so true. Would you cause us to grow in our understanding of this? And I pray for your people that we will be so filled with rest and delight that the world would see that and just think how amazing you are. Um, I want to ask for personal forgiveness when my life has not reflected that. And what I live shows a God who is busy and distracted and filled with other things. But you are so beautifully attentive to each one of us. You know our heart. Every person in this room is so beloved of you. So I pray that next Sunday when we as a community commit to this, that we would experience these wonderful places of being, being with you, being with others and being with ourselves. We give this to you, Jesus, asking it to come with all full freedom. I pray protection around any guilt or I should'ves or expectations. May these spaces created be pleasing in your sight and utterly delightful to all who participate in it. And we pray this in the matchless, beautiful, precious, profound name of our King Jesus. Amen.